Uh, we're coming to the end of a series uh, called ISIS, Islam, and Jesus. And today we wanted to take this focus and understand the way of Christ. And a, a wonderful thing about being able to hear her story is that in every culture, in every part of the world, believers discern and wrestle with how to live out their faith, how to walk the way of Christ. Um, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's here in Montreal, there's a sense of, of needing to understand how we wrestle with how to live out the way of Christ. And today, what we want to do is we want to end this short three-week series um, moving our direction, not necessarily from just learning about groups like ISIS, which was really important for us to learn and understand, um, even to the great opportunity last week where we had a chance to hear the interview with a local uh, Canadian and Muslim and, and understand Islam more and also understand how to serve one another in that way. Uh, but today I want to just move forward and ask, what is the way of Jesus? You know, it's easy to look at an ideological group or even a radical group in the world like ISIS and then just try and understand them and say, well, what does that mean for us? It's, it's um, you know, we take time to understand other faiths around us and other philosophies around us, and that took place last, last week as well. But really, um, at what point do you move away from comparison or learning and then really go deeper in your own faith? As, as, uh, and even just hearing Hermine speak, you know, her love and desire to grow in the way of Christ and to live that out, what does that mean for you and me? What kind of life does Jesus lead us to? And maybe a question is, what does radicalized Christianity look like? What would radicalized Christianity look like? Now, as soon as I say that word, you f- cringe a little bit and freak out and we would say maybe off the bat easily culturally say well i don't know if i would like radicalized christianity because we've been hearing about radicalized other faiths but the word radical is the word root some groups who become radical often um express some kind of extremism that makes us uneasy to be radical in its purest sense not in a negative way is really to get back to its roots my grandfather always used to talk about, in Italian, it's the, the word root is radice, you know, the roots underneath the ground that, uh, that are nurturing this plant to grow. And it's becoming like its roots. It's becoming who it's meant to be and what it's meant to become. My mom always used to say when I used to leave the house as a teenager, she'd say, David, remember who you are. Don't forget who you are. What she was trying to say is, David, when you walk out those doors, remember your roots, Remember who you're being shaped to become. Remember, don't stray away from your roots, she was trying to tell me. Get back to your roots. <laughs> and our roots is Jesus. To be a radicalized follower of Christ would actually to be, is to become closer and closer to who Jesus is. To become more and more like Jesus. So for a Christian to be radicalized would actually be for a Christian to reflect more and more the nature and character and person of Jesus. In the New Testament, we see this throughout the Gospels, and we see this especially in the letters as the churches start to grow. Often the message is, you remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you've experienced. Re- let's reflect on the apostles' teaching who were with Jesus. One of the letters to one of the churches in the book of Revelation says, get back to your first love, the deeds you did at the beginning. Get back to your roots. 
Often the Apostle Paul would write to, to the churches and say and, and talk about a characteristic of Christ. And one would be in Philippians where he talks about the humility of Christ and he tells that church, reflect the humility of Jesus. Be more like Christ. Get back to your roots. So to be radical in its purest sense of the word is to be rooted in Jesus. There was a movement um, in the 16th century that actually the churches that we're a part of are, uh, would consider themselves connected to, which was these days called the Anabaptists. And uh, in fact, Anabaptist churches in the 16th century, or the move of that, uh, really influenced uh, much of uh, Christian churches today. But many people know the, Reforma- the, 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 the 16th century as a time of the Reformation, when for many, many years as the church grew and often connected to the power of the state, the church also grew in power. And there was a man, and many of you might probably know his name, Martin Luther, who over time, as many people were just feeling the need for reform in the church, came and presented within the church. In that time, all churches were one, feeling like there's something that we've lost from our roots. And the Protestant Reformation was a time when the church was being critiqued by people like Martin Luther and later people like Calvin, but it didn't just start with them. It started with maybe decades of slow brewing and and eruption in people's hearts of we've strayed away from the scriptures, from who Jesus is. And this reform was calling people back to the scriptures, calling people back to a church that was less caught up with tradition and more caught up with Jesus. It wasn't all bad. And in fact, Martin Luther often, many people don't know that, stayed within that orbit, but preached his message and then slowly moved away from it. But there was another group of people around that same time, in fact, uh, lived around the same time as Martin Luther and John Calvin, who were not just called the reformers, they were called the radical reformers. That word radical fit in there because they felt that Luther and Calvin didn't go far enough. That although we should go back to the scriptures and go back to grace, they felt, no, no, we, we haven't gone far enough back to Jesus. Back to, are we reading the scriptures through the lens of Christ? Luther, in fact, called these people enthusiasts. That was his word for them, but in German. Because they were so enthusiastic about the life and teachings of Jesus. Later they became, became known as the Anabaptists. But the roots of their faith were radical, Radical because they thought we need to get back to Jesus. Here are a few things that, and I'm going to list them on the screen, that, that the radical reformers um, pushed the church even forward, a little bit forward than the first reformers. One was believers' baptism. Even Martin Luther was continuing to just accept and embrace and baptize children. And, uh, and, and what, the, what the radical reformers said is, wait a second, people need to make an adult decision about their faith. And so Anabaptist actually means baptized again. Because then as people were adults and they said, oh, wait a second, we're making a decision as an adult to follow Jesus. And so this believer's baptism started to grow. In fact, that's why it's influenced the church for centuries since. One of the pieces that's been important for the Anabaptists was that they would be a separate church, not a state church. Luther and Calvin and what became known as the Lutherans or even Calvinists were still connected to the state, supported by the state financially. And the early Anabaptists said, that's okay. However, we really need to be more separate from the state so we can be a more prophetic voice to the state. What if the state strays away from the teachings of Jesus? How How will we encourage that? 
And so the radical reformers said, we, we need to be more of a separate church, not just a state church. Another thing that the radical reformers were really keen in is Jesus as the key to Scripture, to see Scripture through the lens of Christ and his teachings and his example. And it leads to this, Jesus' model. You will meet Christians today who will be so adamant about what they believe and often draw the lines. I believe this, you believe that, you're off the mark here, you're off the mark here. And so the early reformers helped us understand doctrine, but the radical reformers pushed us to think about Jesus as our model. Are we not just believing in the gospel? Are we living the gospel? Are we living out the way of Christ? And uh, one other piece that was an interesting and important piece for Anabaptists was that they grew in this teaching of nonviolence that regardless if it's the church that goes off course or, or the state that is engaging in this, that they would be a people that would not engage in violence. That it's, if, the, if the state wants to pick up a sword, that's their choice. If other groups want to pick up a sword, that's their choice, but we don't want to pick up the sword. We will take up our cross. And this has influenced Christianity in much ways, and you might see some of this in greater ways than others within the church, but this group of 16th century reformers had to live out their faith. In fact, this one was really tough for them because at that period, the Turks and many of them were Muslim as well, were, were, were coming to, to invade. And they said, you know what? They're going to pick up the sword. We're not going to pick up the sword. Well, many of them died in the process. That was a hard stand. Even some of the first reformers persecuted the radical reformers because they saw some of them as heretics and they actually violently hurt them. And the Anabaptists said, no, we, we can't live this way. And they had to wrestle with that inside their own, in their own uh, churches. But here's the question. That was one example in the 16th century. What about us today? How do we live out our roots? How do we become, in a positive way, radical, not in an extremist way, but in a way that says we are more like Jesus? One of the first invitations that Jesus gave to any Buddy who would become his disciple was two simple words, follow me. First invitation to discipleship in the Gospels. Jesus meets some of them on the beach and some of them in, uh, as they're walking down the road and we read through the Gospels as he invites people to follow him. That's his first invitation, follow me. Paul later on, would, when he teaches the churches through his letters, he would say something similar. He just changes it a little bit. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So Paul wasn't saying, just follow me. He said, no, I'm following Jesus. So you follow me as I follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus together. We want to live out his ways. And so today I want to just split this up in two ways. What is the way of Christ and what is the kingdom of Christ? How do we live out the way of Christ? How, do we, how is the kingdom of Christ unique and even different than we've been learning the last few weeks of what uh, Islam talks about as a caliphate? First thing. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. When he taught them how to pray, he demonstrated in a short prayer, we know as the Lord's Prayer, one piece of that prayer says this, um, may your kingdom come, as you're praying to God the Father, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, God's will. And I want to talk about that as the kingdom that Christ came proclaiming and the way of Christ itself. We're going to start with the way of Christ. 
The way of Christ, think about this, is Jesus invites this people to follow him, follow me, walk with me. An amazing image that maybe some of you have heard in first century rabbis, often as they led their disciples, there was a saying that said, their disciples, their students, walk so closely to the rabbi as he's walking that the dust of his feet are on them. They were filled with the dust of their rabbi because they walked so closely to the rabbi. And as he walked through the dirt and the mud and the sand, the dust would come out in the air and get, basically cover them. How closely are we following Jesus as his disciples to follow his example? Here's just one way that we could look at this. And it's this next verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Here's what is said about Jesus. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's this one description. We can take so many parts of the scripture. But here's one. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and become a ransom for many. Here's this first characteristic of Jesus. Jesus reflects servanthood. Even God our Father, when we come to understand who he is, we understand this characteristic of servanthood that is so beautiful in the nature and character and personhood of God. And we see it in the life of Jesus, that he came as a servant. When we want to discover God most, and I loved hearing Hedmine's story, as she served others, she became even more restored in her own self. Because when we serve, when we get lower and lower, it's ironic, but that's where we find God. God is actually often found at the bottom of the ladder. He is a servant. Jesus is a servant. That's one of his characteristics. That's one of the ways of Christ. And then you get this, this word ransom, that Jesus would give his life for others. That's sacrifice. The model of Christ, the way of Christ, service and sacrifice. And where's that rooted in? It's rooted in love. One day Jesus is asked this question and we find it in Matthew chapter um, 22. It's on the next slide. And Jesus is asked by some religious leaders and some you know, thinkers and law, um, legal people. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? In other words, when you scan the law, when you scan the Torah, what we understand as the Old Testament, when you scan these scriptures, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart. But then Jesus continues and he adds another piece. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Love God, love people. And Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I mean, Jesus was, he knew the Old Testament. He was within the stream of first century Judaism. He could quote pieces of the Torah. And Jesus says, all, all the, the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love people. In other words, they pointed to a life of love. They pointed to a life of love. And when Jesus was trying to teach this in a fresh way, he tells his disciples, here's this new commandment. It really wasn't new because it was in the stream of what God was already doing. But here's a new commandment. And Jesus says, love one another. Love one another. 
the, G, the way that Jesus modeled was that he would love. And out of that was servanthood and sacrifice. And sometimes we, we forget that, that following Jesus is also a way of life. The Spirit empowers us. By God's grace, we grow in it. And it's not a duty, and it's not something we do just to get love from God. No. Out of grace, out of our relationship with God, we grow in this way of life. But I want you to, just for a second, think back. There's a verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 2. And, uh, and it's, it's something, it's a phrase that comes out here. Now, this is when Paul the Apostle before was Saul, and he was murdering and killing Christians and taking them out of the synagogues. But th- listen to this. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to, what does it say? The way. If, if Saul would, would find any who belonged to this way, the way. And you can read through the book of Acts and five or six times you see this phrase pop up. People of the way. Because they li- followers of Jesus lived a certain way. They interacted with their culture in a certain way. They trusted God in life and their life changed in a certain way. It was a recognizable way. It was a counter-cultural type of way. There was a moment when, as the early church kept growing and growing and growing, well, they came to rub shoulders with Rome because they were living under Rome's rule and often under Rome's oppression. And as they kept growing and growing and growing, Rome, as the empire, is like, we've got to figure out who these people are. What are they about? What are they doing? What are they like? Why are people going this way? Why are they following this way? Who are they? And why are they growing so much? So Rome sends spies into these house churches and synagogues where, people, where Christians were or new believers were. And they send spies and say, go and find out what they're like. We need to find out more about them. So Roman spies slowly infiltrate into these places, maybe find themselves in a home or find themselves where Christians are meeting or find themselves in a synagogue where four or five other Christians, new Christians are there. They wouldn't be called that at the time, but they were people who were following Jesus. And what what did they report back? They come back and they report to Rome. They say, well, their homes resemble hospitals. Because they're caring for the sick. And their tables are full of strangers that have been welcomed in that don't have community or a sense of belonging. And their money, their purses, are being used to feed the hungry. So here are these Roman spies that go in to catch the, the followers of Jesus, the people on the way. Let's see what they're doing wrong. Let's see how we can implicate them. Let's see what we can arrest them for. Let's see what we can maybe even kill them for. And the reports come back and say, they're, they're cleaning sick people. They're filling their tables with strangers. They're emptying their purses to feed the poor and feed the hungry. And that's because the way of Jesus is love and servanthood and sacrifice. And God's kingdom, through the church, through followers of Christ, continued to grow and grow and grow in first century Rome and second century and third century and continuing. And that leads us to this next question. The way of Jesus is love. The way of Jesus is servanthood and sacrifice. So we have a model. If we want to become radical followers of Jesus, our radicalized faith would lead us to this. It should lead us to this. But then it leads us to this question. Well, Jesus said, may your kingdom come. And Jesus came announcing the kingdom, and Jesus told parables about, parables about the kingdom. How would this kingdom grow? How would this kingdom continue to flourish? 
Well, I want to just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 13. And uh, Jesus often spoke in parables, show, uh, shared stories, images, uh, to, to describe what he wanted to teach. And often he was talking about parables of the kingdom. So we're going to read through just two or three of them, and we're not going to go crazy taking them all apart. And that would take us, you know, three, four weeks. But, but we're just going to read through them, and, and uh, we'll pause along the way and then summarize them. So here's Jesus sharing at least three parables of the kingdom. The first is the parable of the sower. The second is the parable of the weeds and wheat. And the third is the parable of the mustard seed. So here it is. He told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. We'll continue. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it is produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, Jesus will go on and explain this later. We're not going to read that part on how people hear the message of Jesus. Some respond and some don't. That's how, that's how the kingdom grows. Here's, here's the next little parable. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, and often Jesus would use that phrase because he wanted them to catch, this is what God's kingdom is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked, do you want us to go and pull them up right away, right now? No, 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 he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and get them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Here's the last parable. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that when the birds come and perch, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Hear these three stories. Imagine the disciples wondering, what are we joining, Jesus? What kind of kingdom are we going to be a part of? What kind of movement have you invited us to follow and become become with you on this? And how are we going to see this grow? And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. Farmer goes out and throws some seeds, and some respond and some don't. Some grow quickly and they fade. Some grow, um, some grow but they're, they're, they're choked by, by the you know, pleasures of this world or other things around them, and they don't make it. But some fall in good soil, and they grow and grow and grow. Oh, that's how the kingdom of God starts, just spreading the message. And then... You mean your kingdom's going to grow with other things that grow in this world? You're just going to let the other things grow, Jesus? And then this simple image of a small little mustard seed that's thrown to the ground and dies and becomes this plant. And a mustard seed is normally just a bush, but Jesus says it's going to grow bigger than you think it's going to grow. Here are a couple of applications really briefly on this, and I'll list them here. And you can read Matthew 13 and... You can email me and tell me if I'm wrong or anything. But here's, 
here, here's a little bit of a glimpse of how the kingdom grows. The message spreads, just like the farmer that throws out seeds. The message spreads. And sometimes it catches in people's hearts, and sometimes it doesn't. But the message spreads, and we need to just be people who spread the message. The kingdom grows alongside other kingdoms. I know we don't like this one, because we say, why should the kingdom grow along other kingdoms? Isn't God's kingdom the right kingdom? Well, we would say, yeah, but how come Jesus says, as the wheat grows, so will the weeds grow? And they say, well, go take the weeds out now. And, and the story says, no, 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 wait, the harvester at the end will come. He'll remove the weeds, and they'll be taken care of. But then the wheat will be brought into the barn. In other words, as the kingdom of God grows, the reality in our world on this side of eternity is that other kingdoms will grow. Other philosophies will grow. Other groups will grow. And the message is, we are not here to eradicate all the other messages. We know that we teach a message which we believe is truth in Jesus Christ. But we're not here just to to make sure and solidify, to make sure that nothing else grows among us. That's not our, our job. Our job is spread the message. Live the message. And while we are doing that, God's kingdom will grow. But other things will be growing around us. And that's just the reality. And then there's this part. The kingdom grows slowly and subversively and organically. Just like that mustard seed. It starts. It begins to grow. And it seems so inconspicuous. It seems so under the radar. And are we willing to trust that God's kingdom sometimes grows like that? But Jesus says that's how God's kingdom will grow, slowly and subversively. But it will grow beyond our expectations. It will go far beyond what we could ever imagine it is and does. And here's the beauty of it. It's a blessing to everyone. As that mustard seed grows beyond our expectations, birds come and perch on its branches. And it's not just Christian birds. (laughs) So meaning that, that... and it's not that, now, let me just clear this up. I'm not talking about you know, some universalistic thought or something, but what I'm saying is as the kingdom grows, everybody is blessed. Others are blessed. Why? Because the way of Jesus is a blessing. So when Roman spies walked into the early church and tried to scope them out and they found the sick being cared for and strangers invited to the table and the hungry being fed, were they all followers of Jesus? No. Were some of them against the believers? Probably. Were some of them even the Roman spies? Maybe. But they were blessed as the kingdom grew. They were blessed as the message of Christ grew in their city and their towns and throughout the regions. As the kingdom grows, everyone is blessed. Everyone is blessed because we're called to be a blessing. So what do we do with this? How do we, how do we live this out? A couple of thoughts, and I'll be brief with it. The first thought is this. Live out this message. Live out the way. Regardless if we're dealing with an organization like ISIS and, and even the fear of ISIS, there are believers in parts of the world where ISIS is in control. What are they called to do? They are called to live out the way of Jesus in their context. Today we heard Hedmonate sharing her story. She's called to live out the way of Jesus in her context. And you and I are called to live out the way of Jesus in our context. That might mean serving. how do we serve our neighbors? How do we bless those around us? In the context of the last few weeks, are we, even, are we considering how we serve our Muslim neighbors and friends? 
But it's not just about that. It's about, it's beyond that. It's everyone around us. Let's live out the way of Jesus. Let's spread the message of Jesus because the message of Jesus is so powerful. And some will not respond, but some will. We got to trust that. And this leads to this. Let's trust Jesus. Let's trust Jesus because the reality is, is sometimes we hear a story like the mustard seed and say, man, can't you do this a little bit stronger, Jesus? Can't you make this, can't you, can't you be a little bit more attractional than, than that? Can't you, can, can we kind of create a better campaign around how the kingdom grows? And we, let's trust Jesus that the kingdom will grow slowly, subversively. Often it will be, go beyond their expectations, and maybe there are seasons of that, but let's trust Christ. And here's the reason about this. We cannot manufacture the growth of the kingdom. We cannot force people to say, you're not part of the kingdom, we want to make you look like the kingdom, so let's make you look like the kingdom so you can be part of the kingdom. That's forcing it. We want to make sure you look like us and act like us, and we, so we can make our little village and our town or our city look like the kingdom. We can't force that. We can't manipulate that. We're not called to do that. We're called to, to live out the way of Jesus, spread the message of Jesus, be the church that welcomes all who want to pursue Jesus and trust Jesus as that happens. And here's the last piece that I really felt was relevant for us today. By the way, there's a book at Connections called Bold as Love. Don't take it, but it's an example, so you can write it down and maybe order it yourself. And it talks a little bit about this, but love, not fear. Why do I say that? Because I sense... Sensed it in our community group. I sensed it hearing from other discussions. I sensed it um, even in my own heart. This is not just a Christian thing, but we tend to fear what's not like us. And whether that's um, a social status, whether that's where somebody comes from, whether that's how much money somebody makes or not, whether that's the color of someone's skin or culture, often a social or human thing is fear. And, and whether we intuitively say the Bible tells us to love or Jesus models love, I'm still afraid because I'm not like them or they're not like me. And I think that's an honest thing. We talk about ISIS. We say there's fear that comes up. We talk about another group. And it's not, that, it's not even about hate. It's about I don't, this doesn't feel comfortable to me. And so often fear comes up. But the scripture says love casts out all fear. And Jesus says love your enemies. Now, ISIS might look like an enemy. I don't think our Muslim friends are enemies or other people around us are enemies. But sometimes we have a perceived enemy. A perceived enemy is someone that's different than us, that's not our enemy. But because they are different than us, we tend to sometimes disconnect ourselves from them. So here's love. Jesus says love your enemies. So let's just do this. Whether they're a real enemy that really oppresses you, Jesus says, love your enemies. Whether they're a perceived enemy, just because they're different from us and, we, and fear creeps up in us, love will cast that out. Love will change that. And whether we choose to love through the power of God's spirit our real enemies or perceived enemies, they slowly dissipate as enemies because love changes the game. Love changes that. So how do we love instead of fear? Um, maybe we've got room for one question. If someone has a question, and then I'm going to wrap it up today. Does someone have a question out of this series, out of this, in, you know, the last thing we've been doing today, something like that? I didn't prep you before, so maybe everybody's going to be freaked out and not say anything, but if you do have a question, throw it out, and then I'll, I want to wrap it up today. I'll count silently in my head. 
And when the counter's gone, I'll just continue. <laughs> yes, Natalia has a... I'll, I'll repeat it so you can hear her question. In what? Denver? Denmark. Denmark. So uh, she was listening to a documentary on ISIS in Denmark, yeah? And they said that there was a difference between being radical and being radicalized. Okay. So I just share that. So it wasn't a question, it's a comment. So that they were talking about this on the radio, that there's a difference between a radical and someone who's been radicalized. So a radical might be what we were, we were talking about, someone who's rooted in their, in their belief, but a ra- someone who's radicalized will use parts of their belief system, right, to maybe pursue their own agenda. Okay, cool. And, you know, semantics are words we got, we got to be careful because people just use words and we're just saying the root of radical means rooted and we want to be rooted in Jesus. How other people use that or have variations of that, they can use it towards their own agenda. So thanks for sharing that. One last question, if it's on the tip of your lips, we'll ask it and then I'll... Different asking the question from up here. I really see everybody's face. <laughs> cool. Okay. And you know what, you can ask questions on our Facebook page or through, through email and things like that, and we'd love to go further, and we'll try and put some more resources on, um, on the link for this series. One will be that book that, that we're showing uh, at Connections Hub. Take a peek at that. Let me share this just quick story as I close. And here's, here's the thing. This really riveted me a few years back, because I believe in the longing of every human heart, there is a longing to know God. I believe that. Whether someone rejects it or not, that's their choice. I believe there's a longing. It looks different in the context of religious circles than it does in secular circles. We, they might be looking for different things, and that goes back to their ultimate search. There was a man, I'm not going to mention his name because we might put this on podcast, and, then, uh, and I don't know if it was a sensitive story, but he, over time, now this is a guy from the south of America that would normally have very strong political views that many from the south of America have. He's a pastor. Uh, the church, his church was growing, but he felt that God was calling him to the nations, and so his church was getting involved with that, and slowly he started to get involved with people in Saudi Arabia and the Gaza Strip, and so he started to be connected with, with Arabs and Muslims and uh, Palestinians and Jews. And so he found himself over the course of several years, it didn't just happen, often making trips to this part of the world and sitting with imams and sheiks and uh, people in Gaza and Palestinians. And, and, and so one day he found himself, as he started to grow in relationship, they would often ask him for, for help or um, consultation. And one day he finds himself in a meeting. And he's in this meeting and... Uh, there's a variety of people in this meeting, but two of the people in this meeting in particular are very high up in terms of in the Arab world, uh, in terms of, you know, kings and princes and people kind of in control. And so he had his Bible with him. And they asked him to look at his Bible. So they looked at his, he said, sure, take a look at my Bible. So they looked through it. And then they go to the back of the Bible and they see a list of 10 or 12 things. And they say, what, what's this list? What did you write here? And he said, oh, these are things I'm praying for. I just keep an ongoing list of things I'm praying for. 
So they're looking and they say, well, who are these two people on this list? And he said, why? He said, well, I, we know them. Why are you praying for them? So he's really nervous. And um, he says, well, I'm praying that Jesus would reveal himself to them. It takes the boldness to share that. And there's a long pause, and he's getting a little bit more nervous. And then these two people say, would you pray that prayer for me? Would you pray that, that this Jesus you speak about would reveal himself to me? There's a piece in Muslim writing, I believe it's in the Quran, that unless um, someone comes to you in a dream, that you would not turn away. So many Muslims in the world that are finding Jesus through their dreams. Um, and, I, and we don't want to say this just about Muslims, about anybody. The Father, God, longs for people to be in a relationship with him. And the human heart longs for it. And regardless of how they describe it or explain it, there's people all over the world, people you lock eyes with, in one way or another, they might not say it to you, but they want to be on that list. They want to be people who discover who they are, why they're here, who their Heavenly Father is. And so we need to be people who spread the message and live the message and trust Jesus as the kingdom grows. There are people long for that. Let's pray as we, let's stand as we pray. Father, we, um, just in my heart right now, I ask that you protect me and you protect us from becoming prideful people that as we interact with the world around us because in some ways we are just so blessed to know you. And sometimes as our knowledge of you and even the scriptures grow, sometimes we that knowledge will sometimes create pride and sometimes create a sense of I'm so lucky to know you. And that is so true. So God, give us the balance of being joyful and grateful and ecstatic about the fact that we have come to know you in Jesus Christ. But also let us be people, God, who live out the message of Jesus. Yes, God, we want to believe the right things, but we want to live the right life. A life that emulates Christ. A life of love and servanthood and sacrifice. And may we be people of your kingdom within your kingdom that live out the message of your kingdom live out the way of your kingdom. That we would trust you in how your kingdom grows in us and around us. And God, honestly, where there might be fear, even if it's social or human or political or religious fear, whatever it might be, God, we ask you, God, you tell us that love casts out all fear. Well, we say, God, pour your love in us so fear will be gone. And God, may we know that when we lock eyes on people, in some way or another, they long to be on that list. So we just, we want, let, let, let us be people of prayer for our friends and neighbors around us, that they can come to know the beauty and grace and love and life of Jesus. May we be that kind of church 
that spreads that message and that kind of life. And we pray for our neighbors and friends of different faiths and backgrounds, secular or religious. May we be good neighbors. May we love you and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.